We are starting a brand new sermon series that will be about three weeks long where we are looking at our mission statement, which is um, equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors. It is on our uh, wall here in the Welcome Center. Uh, We're doing the best we can to look at the totality of our church, our monies, our ministries, everything in trying to ensure that they are directed towards what we believe is a you know decent reflection of what Jesus called the church to do uh, and to be, right? Equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors. So this morning, we're gonna be looking at that equipping piece. It's gonna be kind of a tag team sermon. I'm doing the very beginning and our pastor of discipleship, Will Donato, will be doing the lion's share of this morning's sermon. Um, just a little introduction before he comes up here. The word equipping, okay, uh, I learned this this week. It, came, it comes from an old English word that uh, originally, when it was used at the beginning, was, was used to describe the loading up of a cargo ship before it hits the you know, ocean for its journey. And not to be too cheesy, right, but the reality is the Christian life is a journey. It is a journey of living out uh, that, that prayer, right, the, that peace of the Lord's prayer that we're so familiar with, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To desire and yearn for that life of heaven, for the life of the kingdom, to really desire and to really yearn to live that life now, here, today. But that is impossible to do alone. Uh, Nowhere in the scriptures do you see anyone embarking on following after God and his call and his mission alone. You just don't find it in scripture. Um, This is why when Jesus ascended back into heaven that the Holy Spirit came down to indwell all of the believers. And Jesus didn't just call, you know, one person. He called all of us. He gathered the church together. You simply don't find a Christian living out their faith alone anywhere in scripture. But in modern day times, if we aren't careful, right, if we aren't very intentional about this, we can make our church services be, or our churches be services, right? We can make our experience of the church like an event that we attend, okay? We come Sundays for an hour plus and we leave and then we do it again the next week and that's you know, the vision of what it means to really follow Jesus in your local church. If we aren't intentional, we can make this thing that we do here just like that, right? Now, certainly, Sunday morning gatherings are a very important 2,000-year-old tradition, if you will, that started, you know, right soon after Jesus left this earth. And so we want to encourage that. We will continue to keep doing this, but it's so much more right? Being a local church is so much more than just Sunday morning attendance, right? Um, uh, It's a far cry. You know, you think of Jesus's um, great commission, right? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This Christian life we have is something that we must be living together weekend and a week out, equipping one another as we make disciples, as we make followers of Jesus, of one another, and of our neighbors in our community. So 
Before Pastor Will comes up, I just want to mention two, what I think is two really big hurdles to this, just kind of get those out of the way, and, and Will will give us a much more kind of biblical grounding this morning for what it means to be an equipping community of Christians here. But two big hurdles as to why I think that the togetherness of the church is really difficult today is, number one, really due to uh, sin and our, our sin-fallen nature here. Uh, living without community, there should be a slide here, living without community is a result of the fall, okay, or when sin first entered the world. It's not a part of God's original design of things, right? When he created the world, he was together with human beings. They were in harmony with one another, meaning there was no relational break. They could be in each other's presence, and they wanted to be in each other's presence with no consequences, right? It was a place of joy, a place of peace, that Hebrew word shalom. It was wholeness, right? Until sin entered the equation, right, in Genesis chapter 3. And here's the first thing that happened after they, they covered themselves up with loincloths after discovering that they were now naked in Genesis 3.8. Listen to what happened when God walked you know, where Adam and Eve were after sin entered their story. In verse 8, um, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They hid themselves, right? If you're hiding from somebody's presence, that's, there, there's a break in a relationship, Right? If you want to like run away when somebody walks up, like, oh, I don't want them to see me. Like, you're not in a good place in that relationship, okay? And this is, this is a result of the fall, okay? It is a break in relationship. Adam and Eve, there's a curse given that between them is going to be continual strife, and their children ended up, you know, killing each other. So relational brokenness is brought in when the fall is brought in. Now, if you just take that and look at our culture, you know, we live in the age I like to call the tyranny of convenience, right? All we do is invent more technologies to, to make it more convenient to connect with each other as far apart away as possible from each other, <laughs> okay? Um, it's texting, the age of texting and social media. We know all of this, right? But we're spending less and less time with each other while we're more connected with each other. Right? If I asked you guys, how many really just close, close friends do you have in your, in your life, right, that you can just like bear all without shame and just know that they'll, they'll be there for you? How many close friends do you have? Statistically speaking, most of you in this room don't have many, right? It's an age that we are just not living in close relationship, but with the fall, mixed with all these cultural dynamics we're in, we look at scripture and we see this call to be together in community, it's an uphill climb for us. But let's be countercultural, church, as we pursue this. The second, which is an interesting hurdle, and then I'll bump it off the wheel here, is increasing ethnic diversity in America. And for us, particularly, why I mention this, because we live in Wilmington. Um, how can I, okay, my, my American roots go back about 400 years, okay, my first ancestor came in at Jamestown and survived like three days before he was dead, but that's how far back my family is here, okay? Now on the neighborhood, the street where I live, 
I'm like one of two white people, okay? Um, I'm the minority on my street, and um, I live around people who, some people have been in America for, you know, five years, 10 years, a few years. Some people are, are Latino or black or, um, I mean, it's, there's a many, many different cultures represented around me, okay? Now, here's the reality with, with my family and with any of us who live close to people who do not share our same um, ethnicity, there's, there's language barriers, there's cultural barriers, there's family heritage and experience, right? The, it's, it's hard to, to break into that, okay? It's hard for me to break into my neighbor's worlds when there's a lot of things that are just unshared, okay? And um, it takes a lot of work to, to actually develop those relationships, learning you know, new languages or idioms or cultures or foods or traditions, okay? But the church is supposed to be a place where of all peoples of all cultures can actually be together, okay? And it's gonna take a lot of work to do that. There's a big hurdle involved because it's easy just to not do the work. I wanna share a few statistics here just to show you the ever-changing landscape of America. In 1950, 89% of America, 89% of America was white, 10% black, okay? 89% white, 10% black, okay? Let's fast forward to 2022. The non-Hispanic white population, 59%. Almost 19% Latino, 13% black, 6% Asian American, and others. If you fast forward, if you continue the rate of this, by 2025, the percentages will be something like in America, in America 48% white, 24% Latino or Hispanic, 14% Asian, and 13% black, right? And I'm mentioning this because, you know, we live in a very diverse city. So this, this topic is important for us to consider, okay? As we are sent to the nations to make disciples, God has sent the nations to us. I hope we, hope we understand that and see that. The church is supposed to be a home for, for all people who know Jesus, regardless of ethnicities. And we all know this. We say yes and amen to that. But the big hurdle is, are we willing, as we step into this mission to equip followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors, are we willing to make room for that here at our church, right? Are we willing, if we're not willing to make room for that here at Emmanuel, our impact on this very diverse city, it will be extremely minimal, right? And I would go far as saying that um, maybe we could be in what I, maybe I could call, you know, geographical disobedience. I don't know if that makes sense, you know, but ignoring the changing demographics of where God has placed this building and placed this church on this corner, right? It, it, we could ignore that for the sake of comfortability, but I'm praying that we embrace it, that I'm praying that we, we ask questions like, yeah, how, how, how do we make sure that we can reach all of our neighbors? And that this community of Christians here can be a loving community that is willing to embrace them and make uncomfortable sacrifices if it means, yeah, be a part of this family of Christians here. So those are the two big hurdles, I think. But right now, um, the first step towards um, this equipping as a community of disciples here is really just having deep relational health. I think that's step one here, deep relational health here as a church taking that step of allowing our lives to crisscross one another continually outside of Sunday, really becoming that relational body of Christ. So when he does bring us new Christians, 
that the church will grow and that our family is growing in relationship, that none of us merely attend on Sundays, but rather we are a part of a family here of whomever he brings here to our church. This is the first step in equipping each other, right? So right now, I'm going to pass it off to my brother Will here, who's going to give us a deeper biblical foundation for these things. So he's our pastor of discipleship. This is kind of his area here at our church. So I want to make sure that uh, his voice is kind of the primary one speaking into these things here. So Will, bump it off. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Hey, uh, Pastor Daniel, before you go, I, uh, I just, if we could, uh, Pastor, if you'll stand there. I know you're a little under the weather, so... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, Pastor Daniel, uh, bless his heart. Obviously, he's a little under the weather today, um, but he still muscled through and wanted to be here with us today. So if we could just raise our hands uh, towards Pastor Daniel. Let us just pray for him, pray for his family. Uh, they have just, it's just been one hit after another, and we're going to continue to pray for him privately as well. So, uh, Father, we just, we pray for our pastor, our leader, the one you have placed, um, Lord, as the under-shepherd of this household. Uh, with this church body, Father, just strengthen his body, uh, and uh, Lord, we bind up, uh, Lord, any sickness that is affecting him and his family, uh, Lord, we bind up the spirit of sickness over his family, we just ask your blessing and your continued provision over them, and we thank you, Father, we bless you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor, we appreciate you so much. <clears throat> you know, um, it, not enough can be said about what is happening right now. Um, you know, we, we are blessed to have such a humble friend and brother and leader in Pastor Daniel that uh, he would think so little of himself that um, he would be willing to share uh, his pulpit with uh, others, me in this particular case. Um, it's, it's really kind of counter Western cultural today. It, it really, really is. Um, and so, Pastor Daniel, just thank you uh, again for your humility and, you know, helping to lead us. It just speaks to the quality of, of your leadership, brother, and I thank you for that. And so what we're going to do is, and I, I got a lot to share, and we have a little bit of time to do it, and I, but I don't want to rush through it for the sake of rushing through it um, because I think this topic is really, really important. So, you know, Pastor Daniel shared with us two very important um, hurdles that I want to talk about. And, and I want to examine those, those hurdles and I want to uh, juxtapose those hurdles against what it means to be in biblical community and what it means to kind of overcome them based on the word. But I think there's something fundamentally missing in many of our churches today. And you may, there's probably a lot of things you could probably think about, but I'm going to tell you, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, the, the sermon today is not really intended to make you feel good. I'm going to be honest with you, it's intended to challenge you, and I hope that it does. Because we are missing power in the church today, okay? It is fundamentally something that we are missing. And if we read the scripture in the New Testament, the church is filled with power, I mean, just time after time, you just see the church moving and acting in so much power, and it's described in vivid detail, and it's a power that radically changes people's lives, that radically changes people's families, and radically changes the society in which they live. And the church is missing it. 
Guys, our last census, 80%, almost 80% of Americans claim to be Christians, yet we're living in a society that is filled with lawlessness, in a society that is filled with things that are so anti-God. And so, but listen, that's not to say, and I'm not here to sermon, is not to beat up the church. Because to beat up the church would be to beat up Christ, and we're not here to do that. But what I am here to say to, to do is to say, listen, there are some things missing. There's still some things that are happening well in the church. And I don't want to act like there's not, because there is. There are still great things that are happening, and people are coming to salvation, and great things are happening. People are being fed, and all those things are great. But I just wonder, a lot of that is the business of the church. And so I wonder, and I, I, I ask the question, um, is the business of the church really helping us to fulfill the mandate of Christ? I, I can't help but wrestle with that question because today we have been conditioned to think that bigger meetings are better, bigger congregations, bigger churches, bigger whatever. You fill in the blank. That's how we've been conditioned. Bigger is better. Okay? Now don't get me wrong, I like my bigger french fry sizes too, so that is better. I just want to make sure you guys are paying attention. Um, but we're conditioned to think bigger is better, and here's what's happened. As a result of thinking bigger is better, what we've done is we entirely neglected, or maybe just dismissed at best, neglected at worst, the idea that we have to grow people into mature believers. That it's not just about converting people, but it's about maturing people to live a life according to Christ. And we've totally forgotten about that. We want to get more converts, and we totally forget about getting more disciples. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. And so we've totally dismissed, we've, we've totally forgotten about that. But let me remind you of the Great Commission. Here's what I love about the Spirit of God. Pastor Daniel and I had one conversation about this joint sermon we were, do were doing today. One. And it was very limited in scope. We barely talked about the details. We just talked about a broad overview. And what I'm going to do today, thank you, the Spirit of God, um, is I'm going to cover much of what Pastor Daniel has already said today, but I'm going to cover it in a little more detail. And again, I love how the Spirit led us to the same set of scriptures. He's led us to the same place, and we did not discuss it. So praise God for that. So let me share with you again, Pastor Daniel read it, but this is the core of all discipleship. If your discipleship, your training up and equipping of people isn't based on this passage, you're missing it. Should have it up on the screen. It's the Great Commission. The Great Commission is in all the gospel, but it is most colorfully described in Matthew 28, which we'll read today. This is in the NASB. Again, if you don't have it, you can read it up on the screen. It reads, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus. Has been given to me. Go, therefore, and, dis and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Beloved, this is the mission of the church. 
Now listen, when I say church, I'm not talking about the building. This is your mission. You are the church. Every single one of you sitting in the pew and watching online today, this is your commission. This is what God, God wasn't talking to a building here. God was talking to his disciples and those who were present in that moment. He was saying, this is what I command you. He says, all authority is mine, so go in my name. Go in my authority and make disciples. God wants, in other words, God wants his church to grow. But he does not want his church to grow for the sake of growing. Are you hearing me? Growing for the sake of growing is meaningless. Growing must be a growing of intentionality, a growing of transformation. Growing must be a growing of discipleship where people's lives are being transformed and the lives of those who we touch and serve are being transformed as well. It's just not about growing for the sake of growing. I know a lot of churches that are big and they're dead. It's not about growing for the sake of growing, but we've become, again, so obsessed with bigger is better. That's our cultural mindset today. Bigger is better. And I have to challenge you today, Emmanuel, and this is, this is a question that I pose broadly, but it's a question that I pose to us as a church body, and this is a us thing. And the question is, is Emmanuel truly as biblically effective as we could or should be. And sadly, I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think the answer is no. And I don't say that in the negative and certainly don't say that to discourage anyone in the room. But you cannot move forward if you don't know where you are. If you don't know where you are, you will move aimlessly in a direction that you know not where you are going. So we have to take an honest assessment of where we are. See, but this is what God wants from the church. Guys, let me remind you, and the scripture confirms this, we are waging a war. We are in a war. It is a war for the souls of our families, a war for the souls of our community, and the war for the souls of our nation. We are in a war, but it is a war against principalities of high places. This is a spiritual warfare, and we have to engage in it. This is not an option. We must wage war. Now, I want to make sure from a theological perspective, I'm not confusing anyone, because we are waging war against a defeated foe, amen? Amen. He is a defeated foe because Christ defeated him on the cross. But nevertheless, the war has been won, but the battle still rages. And so we have to engage in this war for the souls of our families every day. But what's stopping us from engaging in this war? And I want to go back to Pastor Daniel's introduction about what's hindering us or the hurdles that we're experiencing, that all of us experience I don't care where you are in your walk and where you are in your life, young or old, it makes no difference. There are things that are holding us back individually and things that are holding us back as a church. And it's the same thing. So let's talk a little bit about Pastor Daniel's introduction again for a moment. There were two things. One hurdle is the fall. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And the other is ethnic diversity. 
which I think is subordinate to the fall. Because there was no such thing as ethnic diversity in the garden. We were one with God. We were one people with God. We were one where heaven and earth intersected. They were one. There was no ethnic diversity. And as a result of the fall, we became tribal. And, and, and listen, when I say tribalism, I don't necessarily mean that it's exclusively an ethnic thing. Because we can be tribal as a church. Right? where it's all about us and we go to keep things internal, in-house, and for a season we became that. Thank goodness we're, we're, we're moving in a new season, but you can become tribal in any number of different ways. It's not necessarily an ethnic thing, but that is a result of the fall. So what I want to do in the rest of our time together, and I, I, I could probably preach for hours on these two things, but I want to be brief today. So, so please follow me as we go through this quickly. I want to briefly examine both of those things. I want to talk about the fall. Now, again, guys, we're talking about equipping. I don't want to lose you in this. And the big broader picture is community, living life together in community, equipping one another, right? How do we equip one another? And this is, this is the broader discussion. And so we want to take a moment to examine Genesis 3, verse 8 which again I have on the screen. And Pastor Daniel, again, I love that we, we're, we're going to preach, we're preaching on the same scriptures today and there was no coordination between us. But I want to share with you Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Now, this is after they've rebelled against God. I'm just going to read one passage. It says, They heard a sound of the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day. You might almost read past that. You, you might almost just, just chalk it up, right? And just dismiss that statement. But in the context of our discussion, that's pretty significant. And here's why. It said that God walked in the cool of the days. The scripture in no way, it gives us an indication that Adam and Eve were surprised about God's walking in the cool of the day with them. Why? Because, see, God was in intimate relationship with mankind at that time. He was in intimate communion with them. And to walk with someone means there is close proximity. Are you understanding what I'm saying? If you read earlier in the Genesis account, what does it say? It says God instructed them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been instructed, but instruction implies intimacy. Instruction implies a close proximity. All of us have been through the school system and in, you know, maybe post-high uh, school education and whatnot. You received education as a result of an intimate level of relationship from the instructor. So Genesis 3.8 tells us that there was intimacy in the garden. There was intimacy in the beginning. An intimacy that included instruction. An intimacy that included close proximity. And again, this was, we presuppose here that, that this was a normal occurrence. This was a regular thing, and it wasn't a surprise. But you know the greatest consequence of sin is the severing of relationship. If you take a moment to analyze the curses and everything that came as a result of the fall, you will notice that every single one of them is a severing of relationship. Whether it was a severing of our relationship with nature, men having to toil in the soil now, or it is a severing of our relationship as husband and wife, 
or a severing of our relationship with our children and ultimately a severing of our relationship with the Almighty God. But that is the true consequence of sin. Everything else is subordinate to that. And so as a result, we as a people, as a result of that severing of relationship, we have become tribal. And, and interestingly, immediately following the story of the fall, you know what you see? The story of Cain and Abel. If there was no bigger picture about the severing of relationship immediately after the fall, we find a story of two brothers that are at odds, one in particular, at odds with the other, so much that so he had to kill him. There's no more vivid picture about the severing of the intimacy of our relationships with each other than what immediately followed the fall. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the fall and talking about this ethnic, this ethnicity or tribalism, because that's not really the point here today. I'm just giving you that background to set you up for what we're about to talk about and how we're going to close today's sermon. And, and that is reminding you about the Great Commission. And I want to go back again. We're going to read Matthew 28 again. I just want to send it home. And then we're going to read some other scriptures that I hope will help us to see the importance of discipleship. So let's, again, reading the Great Commission, if you can go back to that slide real quick, Larry, and then we'll, uh, then we'll go to the very next slide that I had on this, uh, the PowerPoint slide. It says this again, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, therefore, and make disciples, that's important, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you stop there the church today guys and Jesus even confirms it and, and I'll share you the scripture that, he, that where he confirms this the church is full of Christians you might say pastor will duh but I want to make something clear the church is full of Christians many of which are not disciples I'm gonna say that again the church is full of Christians many of which are not disciples and, and I'm going to remind you here, there is a distinction between the two. Because Christ, saying I'm a Christian simply implies that you know Jesus, that you've accepted him. Being a disciple means that I'm following his commands. Being a disciple means I'm living my life being conformed to his image. That's what being a disciple means. And there's a difference. And the, the church is filled with Christians, many of which aren't following him at all. Jesus says that the road to destruction is what? Wide, very wide, and many in the church will be on it. That's not fun to say, but it's true. But the road to salvation is narrow. Amen. See, early in the church history, if you read in the early accounts and in Acts, and if you read actual church history, uh, extra biblical material, what you'll find is that Jesus' disciples were just that. They were called disciples. They weren't called Christians. Actually, they weren't called Christians until later on in Acts. And if you read throughout the New Testament, you'll hear the word disciple used 270 times. You know how many times Christians is used? Three. We didn't, we're not called to make Christians. We're not. 
we are not called to make Christians. We are called to make disciples of Jesus. The New Testament is intensely Christ-centered. Intensely Christ-centered. Everything in the New Testament and everything that preceded it in the Old Testament, which Jesus was simply a fulfillment of all that we've read in the Old Testament, is all about him. Jesus says that he is the key to everything. He says he's the bread of life, he's the light of the world, he's the good shepherd, he's the vine, he's the gate, he's the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, Jesus is the model. He is it. And see, if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to follow the model and the pattern that our Lord set forth for us. Because all of it, and we'll read Romans 8, 29, all of it is for us to be more like him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's for one purpose. Our, our transformation, our conforming to the image of God is not for us. It is for one purpose, and that is to glorify the Lord God Almighty. We'll read this passage here. Again, Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 8 and 29 says, And we all know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined, and here's the part, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. But it is all for the glory of God. In other words, to put it a different way, to be conformed into the image of Christ is to be a disciple of Christ. Like we said, because to be a disciple of Jesus means that I am following him. I am following his model. I am following his pattern. It means that that's what I want to be. And newsflash, guys, this is not a new concept. Being conformed into the image of God is not a new concept. We're taught this in the Old Testament. I'll give you an idea of what I mean here in just a second. But the, the New Testament church today has to be about the business of making disciples. The biblical New Testament church, that was their business, making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why they were called Christians, because they were called, referred to as little Christ that they, they fit his mold, they fit his image so closely that they refer to them as a little Christ. Are we truly Christians? Are you a little Christ, so to speak? Are you in his image? Like, you know, my son, he's little Will, right? He's in my image. And if you know Alex, you know he's like, he's like a split image of me, although he denies it. Okay, that's all right. But we're supposed to be a little Christ. But we can't make disciples if we are divorcing ourselves from his teachings and from his methods. Because a lot of times in the church, we're okay with his teachings, but we divorce ourselves from his methods. But let's talk about Jesus' methods for just a moment. Again, I'm, I don't want to keep you long today, but this, I think, is really important. As we're attempting here as a leadership to create a culture discipleship. It has to be a culture that every one of us are living and breathing. We like his teachings, but we divorce them from his methods, and yet we expect the same results that Jesus got. 
Jesus was the master disciple maker. And his method worked. It works. So we try to do and preach his teachings, but we won't use his methods. I read a book uh, that I thought was very interesting. It was called A Meal with Jesus. You can find it on Amazon. I forget the name of the author. It's a very short read. And in this book, it's an examination of the Gospel of Luke. And the author in this book, essentially, I guess his thesis, if you will, was that everything that Jesus did was relational and it was with a meal. That in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was either at a meal, on his way to a meal, or leaving a meal. Read the Gospel for yourself. I didn't really believe it at first when I started reading the book. And then I read the Gospel of Luke again, and I'm like, every, everywhere, like he's always eating in the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> he's at a party. I mean, Jesus liked the party. He did. He was, he was always at a party or always at a dinner or leaving or coming to all the interactions. And so, see, I, I believe that Jesus' methods are equally as divine as his teachings. Jesus did discipleship relationally. He showed us that fundamentally this method of making discipleship through relationship was grounded in truth and in love. That's what Jesus did. He gave you all the truth, which was himself, and he gave you all the love, which was also himself. That's what he gave to us. And over and over again, what Jesus does, which we should be doing too, And if you're not, again, I'm challenging you today, is Jesus over and over again invited people into intimate relationship with himself. But he didn't push it on you. He walked you into it. He sat down and had a meal with you. Jesus lived life with you. Jesus didn't try to change the world. He just changed 12. I want y'all to hear that for a moment. Jesus didn't try to change the world. He just changed 12. And through the 12, the world was transformed by the power of the Spirit. And I want you to think about that for yourself as we continue here. But as I mentioned earlier, this is not a New Testament concept. When Jesus talked about relationship, when Jesus talked about and walked out and lived discipleship, it was firmly rooted in his understanding of Torah firmly rooted in his understanding of Torah. Let's read Deuteronomy really quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. I told you we were going to examine some scripture here because I want to drive the point of discipleship home. It is not a New Testament concept. It is Old Testament and throughout. Jesus is the living word, is he not? Is is he not the author and finisher of our faith? Is he not the Lagos himself? This is what Jesus says through his spirit, Deuteronomy chapter, in the Torah, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. He says, this is the Lord God. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. These words, no, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds like a New Testament thing. It's not. I am commanding you today or which that which the word these words I'm sorry which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your sons you shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way 
when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You see, parents in the Old Testament were called to love and obey God with the, through the method that they were using here and it was a method of relationship. Now you might look at that text and you say, well, where do you get that? See, in the text it says, you shall teach them the things that I have commanded you. And how does he say? Notice what the text says. The text says, you shall teach them these things when you sit in the house. You shall teach them these things when you walk by the way. You shall teach them these things when you lie down. In other words, everything that you do as you teach your children my ways and my command happens through osmosis. It happens through transmission of close proximity in relationship. Amen? That's how we were told to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. In other words, God says, this is apprenticeship. You as parents are called to raise your children in apprenticing them in the way of the Lord. Now, true discipleship, and we're going to bring this thing home. True discipleship in its fullness. As you go through spiritual maturity, and there are various stages of spiritual maturity, from being dead in Christ to being an infant in Christ, all the way up to being a, a full-blown adult in Christ. If you don't know what those are and what those levels of this spiritual formation entail, that's a whole nother conversation I'm happy to have with you. But as you go through those stages, there are things that are expected of you as a disciple of Jesus. Does anyone expect an infant to behave like a teenager? Anyone? No, of course you don't, it's absurd. Does anyone expect for a teenager to behave as an adult? No, you don't, why? Because different things are expected of people at different stages of their discipleship. But you know what is expected of spiritual adults? Just like in life, that you have spiritual children. God told us to be fruitful and multiply in the physical. In two, in the spirit, you should be fruitful and multiply in the spirit. If you are truly a disciple of Christ, we go back to the Great Commission. He says you are to make, hello, make disciples. What does that mean? Someone converts and receives Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and the journey does not stop there. That's just the beginning. See, in that moment, you're only a convert, but you're not truly a disciple. It is only when someone is walking beside you and living life with you and seeing your good, your bad, and your ugly and still loving you like Jesus, that's when discipleship really happens. And it only happens in community. It only happens in the community of the church, period. Society has taught us to be islands. Our Western culture has taught us to be lone wolves, which is a change even from our own culture back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even in the 80s when I grew up. It, we were all about family, and I don't know what happened over the last 30, 40 years, but we have totally become isolated. Now, you know what I think has done it? Technology. The things that we love so much in technology have, which were intended to bring us closer together, have done nothing but drive us further apart. 
Facebook and all the social media and you name it, when they do have their functions and purposes, it's destroying marriages, destroying relationships because it's not really communal. Doing church on Zoom or on Facebook, and I appreciate that there is an audience, there are shut-ins for that, and so I'm not saying we throw that out. But true community happens in person. Guys, this is what Jesus did. He was in your face. He was intimate. He still is intimate. He was personal. And if Jesus' way works, then we have to use his methods. We can't take his teachings and disregard his methods because his methods worked. His methods and the powering of the Holy Spirit is what grew the church in the first place. We got to have the both. We have to have them both if we're going to have intentional relationship. I'm going to give you one final scripture in 2 Timothy to try to drive this point home and then we're going to be done. Paul writes in this letter to Timothy who he adored. Paul, if you read his epistles and his letter to Timothy, he just adored it. Timothy was like a son to him. And Paul writes this. And I'm only going to, that's not all of 10 through 14 there on the slide. It's just uh, an abbreviated kind of abridged version. But look at what he says. Paul says to Timothy, now you have followed my teachings, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecution, and suffering. Such has happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from who you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom and that leads you to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the first part. Notice the very first part of that passage. Paul says, now you have followed. And then he gives a list. What does that mean? That Paul says, I was in such intimate relationship with you, Timothy, that as I discipled you, you followed my model, and my model was the model of Jesus. You followed my pattern, and my pattern was the pattern of Jesus. Are y'all catching me today here? And so Paul says, you observed all of these things, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecution, and even suffering. Yes, even suffering, because Paul suffered well. He says that in another passage, as he suffered well, he encourages us to suffer well, whole nother sermon. But Paul says, you lived after my model. Guys, as we become spiritual parents, if you are a parent in the physical, you understand this, children will model you, will they not? Moms, dads, they will model you. And likewise, as we become spiritual parents, as we get to the pinnacle of our spiritual formation, being a spiritual parent and making disciples, we too have to set an example for our spiritual children by which they can live by. But our model must be the model and the pattern of Jesus Christ. It has to be. Otherwise, we're leading them to another faith and teaching them a different gospel. This is how we get to this place. Then I'll bring it all home. I want to stress as we close this message and I'll invite the worship team um, to come up. When, when Paul was talking to Timothy, you know, Paul didn't just preach at, on Sundays. Paul didn't just teach Sunday school and he didn't, it, it wasn't just, right? You know, Paul was very intimate 
like Jesus, he was very intimate with those that he discipled very closely. And if we look at the biblical example of relationships, we'll find that the biblical example of relationships and discipleship happens in the environment of discipleship in community. Biblical discipleship within community is intentional, relational discipleship. And I add that word intentional because it has to be intentional. And we're going to go back to the hurdles that Daniel talked about earlier as to why it must be intentional. And again, these are the methods of Jesus intentionally employing and deploying the methods of Jesus. We must be intentional. So I want to stress this. If we're going to grow as a church, and now I'm going to stress this. I want to emphasize this really quick. If we don't grow any, any much past this number here, but every single one of you are connected, are discipling and being discipled and are totally on fire for God, I'm okay. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I will be, I'll be tickled to death if that's all we got. But every single one of you is transforming the lives of those around you. That's okay. But I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen naturally. If that's the case, if every one of you gets plugged into a small group, if every one of you gets plugged into a micro community here with a manual, you know what will happen by default? Because it's the default position, the church will explode. By default, guys, there is no secret potion to this. There is no magic strategy. You want to go to church? Pour into someone. Let's say right here today we might have, I don't know, 80, maybe 90 some odd people. If every one of you poured into just one we'd go from 90 to what, 180, and then almost 400. You see how it grows exponentially? When we're just pouring into one, when we get to the peak of our spiritual maturity and we're intentional, but guys, if we're going to overcome those hurdles of sin, if we're gonna overcome the, 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 the division of relationship that sin causes, if we're gonna overcome the tribalism that sin creates, we must be intentional my final comment to my final comment to this and then we're going to pray it's not going to be easy if anyone tries to fool you and tell you that this endeavor of discipleship is going to be easy it's not because let me tell you what you have to do discipleship means that I have to let someone in I, I got to let someone get in my business, get up close and personal with me. I have to let down doors or let down uh, walls and open doors that I didn't want to expose to anybody because if I'm truly going to grow, if I'm truly going to be discipled, I have to first open up to God and then open up to his people so that what? So that I can be equipped for the journey, so that I can be empowered by the spirit. You have to let people in but you know why that's not easy? Because when you're, like, like is many examples in Paul's epistles where there were many multicultural, multi-ethnic churches, there's problems. You don't look like me, you don't sound like me, you don't do the stuff that I do, this is kind of weird, I don't know how to 
it's weird, right? It's, it's, it's not fun. It's, sometimes it's uncomfortable. But guys, listen, if we want to grow, we have to get uncomfortable. Your complacency and your comfort is what keeps the church status quo. God did not call the church to be status quo. God called the church to be filled with power and authority and to take dominion over our region. Amen? But it's not going to be easy. Because we're walking into it, let's, let's just say we are. Short of some of us, we're a white church. Right? Can we say that? Well, I've heard people say that we're, we're a white church. And so now when we try to open up our doors, to, to open up to the people that we love down the street, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a heavily Hispanic community and an African-American and multicultural community. We got to do some things different. We gotta open up our homes and open up our hearts to people who don't look, sound, and feel like us. And you know what? Most of these people that you are about to open your hearts out, out to have never given, been given that opportunity. They're disenfranchised, they're outcasts, and they need someone to love them just because. Watch how this church is transformed. So I'll leave you with that, and I'll say, listen, guys, again, if you're not plugged in, and we're going to pray, if you're not plugged in, guys, please get plugged in. We have three small groups right now, and we're hoping to grow it to many. But if you don't know, we have the, the, the Shorn and DiBiazzo's group. We have Pastor Daniel's group who, who meets here at the church, and my group, uh, my discipleship group who meets down in my house in Townsend. Wherever is more comfortable for you guys get plugged in. If you are interested in October, we haven't made this announcement, but I want to share it with everyone. In October, I'm going to be hosting right after church. I'll, we'll, we'll give you the dates. I'm going to be hosting a discipleship um, leadership kind of training session. So if you're open to hosting, or you're open to considering being raised up to, to lead a discipleship small group, let me know. And you don't have to wait till October, by the way. This is October's when the training is going to happen. But discipleship happens in community. We can't lone wolf this anymore. Amen? And so I'm going to pray. I hope that I challenged you today with this word. But if we're going to be equipped, our equipping has to be in the community of God. So let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you showed us throughout your text that you intended us for, for all of us to be one, to be fully equipped for the work of the kingdom. I thank you, Lord, that your word has shown us continuously from Torah all the way to Revelation that our community is first in you that Father, Son and Holy Spirit you have been and always have been united from eternity past to eternity future Lord Jesus you prayed to your Father that you wanted us to be one as you and the Father are one so I pray that unity in the body today. I pray vulnerability for the church today. That as you were vulnerable with the world to the point of death, we too will be willing to lay down our lives and sacrifice for those that we're pouring into. 
what rewards we would store up in heaven if we would just go after one. For you went after each and every one of us when we were ugly and dirty, when we were unworthy, while when the scripture says, while we were still your enemy, you went after us. You didn't put any conditions on it. You just went after us. And I pray today that we wouldn't put any conditions on going after those in the world, that we would just seek them out the way you have sought us out, Lord. That we would welcome them, to, them into our homes and welcome them into our hearts. That they would know a love that is unparalleled, a joy that is beyond understanding. We can be a reflection of you. For it is through you, Jesus, that heaven and earth has now intersected again as it did in the garden. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we don't have to wait until death or rapture to experience the kingdom here on earth. Because, Jesus, you brought the kingdom to earth and we can live it now. So I thank you, Lord. We thank you. Holy Spirit, I pray for the powering of the Holy Spirit in all the lives of those listening today. That the Holy Spirit would no longer be shunned, but be welcomed. That the movement and power of the Spirit in the lives of those who we encounter would be welcomed. But we surrender it all to you at the foot of the cross. We give it to you. Father, I pray today that if there's anyone in this room today who has not converted, who does not know you, but after hearing this seeks to understand what it means to be in your arms and to be your disciple, I pray that they meet one of the elders here in the front today and they come to receive you. We thank you today, Lord. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.